Thinking about death kind of brings into focus the fact that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God, not even death. Death does not have the capacity. And so it should leave us as people who have an eternal future with a sense of victorious posture. Because there's nothing that can separate us, not even death. We don't like talking about death, though. It's kind of something for another day. And if you belong to the New England Puritan Church in the 16th and 17th century, you probably gathered in a wood frame building that was pretty simple, white cladding. You sat on bare wooden stools and pews, surrounded by clear glass windows. But the space was sparse, it was unadorned, it was free from images except those that were created by the preacher in the church. Puritan worship spaces were simple by design. But you contrast that simplicity of their building, right, with what you would have experienced on your way into walking into that building. You would have passed through a church graveyard full of gravestones carved with elaborate and sometimes jarring images. This is the building, as you can see, very simple, but this graveyard, quite dark, the stones today survive as one of America's most popular, powerful art forms. And to modern tastes, some of the art on the gravestones is quite uh, bordering on grotesque. There's skulls flanked by wings, skeletons holding siths, and perhaps most commonly, an hourglass running out of time. These stones, this graveyard was aimed at your imagination. Some of these stones, we would probably find two Latin words that's etched up there, memento mori, memento mori. So roughly translated, memento mori means remember death. That's uh, fun, isn't it? Remember death. With these stones and the sermons in a range of practical writings, the Puritans were drawing from an old tradition that sought to bring perspective, the perspective of death into everyday life. And that was, doesn't mean um, preparation for one's own death. It means that the perspective of death, the unshakable reality of death, bringing it into here and now. And we need reminders of our own mortality so that the reality of eternity and what matters most can be brought into focus. I heard of a church in Italy. It's called San Bernardino alla Ossa, a church in Milan, northern Italy. And it's best known for its side chapel decorated with uh, human skulls. There's a picture of the ceiling, amazing. But can you see on the side? There's these skulls down the side. And you're like, How, why would you go into a place like that? What is going on? And why am I showing you all these spooky pictures? I didn't come to church for that today. There's another chapel in Prague in the Czech Republic. It's called the Bone Chapel. And it was the initiative of three Franciscan friars. And their goal of this chapel was to convey the message of temporariness and the fragility of human life. And there's a message at the entrance point written here in Latin that says, We bones that are here... For yours we wait. That's nice and positive, isn't it? Today, our Bible says in Psalm 90 verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Such an interesting scripture. And we don't have, you know, bone chapels. Uh, I can't see any bones at King's Cross today. Um, we don't have them in Perth, but if you want to get a, a help, helpful hand in numbering your days, you can visit a website called deathclock.com, 
deathclock.com. And uh, it's going to give you the exact date of your death uh, and the number of seconds still remaining for you to live. And you'll be pleased to know that I'm going to be around till 2059, which is going to be great. Now, it's, we laugh at that, and it would be easy to kind of think that the, the New England Puritans as this kind of morose, joyless souls, uh, thinking often about death meant living under a dark, depressing cloud. Um, but that was far from the truth, and it's, it need not be true for us. Matthew McCullough's book, Remember Death, he, he writes that the purest Puritans worked to capture the imagination of death in preparation for the imagination of Jesus. Uh, I think this, uh, this little quote here that's in the same book um, by Matthew McCullough, it says, Death awareness is kind of a telescope. To the naked eye, perhaps the promises of Jesus seem small and beyond our frame of view, remote and disconnected from what I see around me. They belong to some other world, these promises, than the one I'm living in. But when I learn to see the painful truth about death, that begins to change. When I use the reality of death as a telescope, looking through it to grab hold of his image, Jesus comes forward into focus, blown up to a size that dominates my entire frame. I love that picture. So as you face the problem of death and not avoid it, the problem of it is allowed to hit home in your heart, the wonder of the gospel, which is the solution, gets larger in your field of view. See, if you don't see death as much of a problem, Jesus won't be much of a solution. Did you hear that? If you don't see death as much of a problem, Jesus won't be much of a solution. When we allow the weight and the problem of death to sit upon us, the power, the awe, the joy of the resurrection story can hit home and do the transforming work in our hearts. Hebrews 2.14 brings this home for us. It says, Since the children have flesh and blood, i.e. us, he too, Jesus, shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held slavery, held in slavery to the fear of death. The sad reality is the ultimate interruption, physical death, and the ultimate separation, spiritual death, is all around us. And the shadow of death actually touches and impacts many aspects of life. But the Easter story is the defeat of death, isn't it? Oh man, who loves Easter Sunday? I love Easter Sunday because death is dead. It's defeated. And it no longer stands in the way of forever. It no longer stands in the way of forever. The way for us to begin to experience real life is to face the inescapable reality of death. And rather than it depressing us, all of death and its impermanence around us, it's meant to open our eyes and inform our hearts. It's meant to call us away from the delusion that all this life there is now is all there is. That's not true. It draws us away, thinking about death and thinking about eternity, draws us away from finding our identity and purpose and meaning from things that are actually dying so quickly. When we work to deny the reality of death, we look for life in things that are dying. Like how many people find their identity in their physical appearance? Why would you base your identity on something that's dying? Newsflash, we're all dying. We wouldn't do that. 2 Corinthians 4.16 
talks about this, and it says, We don't lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And so we fix our eyes on what is unseen. We fix our eyes on eternity. When I say we fix our eyes on eternity, we, we know that scripture, Hebrews 12, 2, talks about fixing your eyes on Jesus, right? But if you take Jesus out of eternity, guess what? Eternity crumbles. Like, have you heard that said that uh, if you take Jesus out of heaven, it, lo- it no longer is heaven? Uh, Jesus and eternity are, are, like, are, are together, they can't be separated. They're together. So this instruction by Paul to fix our eyes on the unseen, to fix our eyes on an eternal perspective, is to have our our vision, our lives, informed by an external reference point, not a temporal reference point. An eternal reference point, not a temporal reference point. So we can stand firm and be the conquerors that he calls us to be. We don't have to fear death. We don't have to. Because we have an eternal hope in Jesus. But I think many of us have an unclear picture on what this eternity looks like. Or maybe a misinformed one. And so today I want to give us a little bit of a clarity, a little bit of a teaching around what is this eternal future going to look like for us. So that it can actually cause us to be bold, be strong, be a a person of hope in the midst of a world that is dying around us. Firstly, we don't see it all. That's the, that's the problem when we talk about eternity. We don't know it all. We don't know all the details. That would be good, but we don't know it all. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For we see through a glass darkly, like seeing through a mirror. You ever notice that? When you look at a mirror, you don't see a, um, a perfect image. You don't see reality. You see a mirror image. There's an opposites to what's going on. We only see partially. It goes on and says, But... A time is coming where we're going to see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I am fully known. So there's some, some, there's some things that we can know about eternity. And in Revelation 21 verses 1 to 7, which is kind of like our key scripture for today, it says this, John getting this download from heaven, and he says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard the loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I I like that line. You know, I know this seems like so outside the box and like, wow, you're messing with my imagination right now. So let me just really confirm that what I'm saying is trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. 
To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. To those who are victorious will inherit all of this. I will be their God and they will be my children. John is getting this download from heaven and the picture that's being presented here is not uh, souls going up to heaven, but heaven coming down to earth. That's an exciting picture. There's a new heaven and a new earth where we have new bodies, a new home and a new future. And so it's important to consider that the earth and all of creation is being made right. There's a new earth. There's a redeemed earth. It's made perfect. What, out, what is out there for us is a rewoven, perfect, healed, material world. And what we see right now is nothing like what is coming is nothing like we've ever experienced. It's brand new. Does it cause your imagination to run wild? It should. It should. But we're not given all the details. Heaven comes down and makes the world right. That's why Paul calls in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, he calls um, Jesus' resurrection uh, the first fruits, which is an interesting phrasing that Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits. What he's getting at is that Jesus' resurrection, how he is risen from the grave, is like a first installment of what is to come. He's the forerunner of what is to come for us. So as we consider Jesus in his resurrection state, physically, we get a bit of a picture of what it's going to be like for us. So my first point is how can we fix our eyes on the unseen? Let's fix our eyes on the fact that we are going to be given a new body, a forever body. And Some of you are sitting here, this sounds really good. Keep going, Adam. So the nature of the hope that is coming, the eternity that's coming, is not some spiritual souls communicating through telepathy and floating around in the esoteric pie in the sky and the eternal by and by. It's a feast on earth. It's a feast here. It's a table. It's a connecting with one another physically. I never used to think that. I used to think, well, it's just some spiritual cloud experience no, that's not true. It's a physical reality. Jesus' resurrected body, he ate with his disciples. He ate fish. And he said, I'm not a ghost when he had the fish. He said, and he went and ate it. He physically consumed it. And so how we see Jesus' resurrected body gives us some insight into our future. And the fact that Jesus rose physically, his physical resurrection means something really important. And please don't miss this. I, oh, this, this has so touched my life. Jesus' resurrection physically means that you and I will not miss out on anything, ever. What do you mean, Adam? We can spend so much time with sort of, uh, you know, FOMO, fear of missing out, right? Like, oh, I want to do this, I want to go to this location, I want to go to Indiana, I want to go to there. And the reality is, you can't do everything, right? You can't. There's just so much to do, and the reality is, in this life, we're going to miss out on something, but in the eternal life, we will not miss out on anything. So what does that do to the human heart? It should cause you to go, well, there's hope. I don't have to fear anything, because I'm going to live forever with Him. That should be an empowering thing, where you no longer live in regret, you no longer live in this sense of uh, fearing of missing out. We live in a, when we live with a eternity amnesia, I want to introduce a new phrase to you, eternity amnesia, when we live 
like that, the name of the game is experience, possess, accomplish everything we can right here, right now, because this is all there is. But when you live with an eternity consciousness, you begin to look at this physical reality differently because you're not going to miss out on anything. You're going to have a glorified body, strong, well, complete, not lacking anything. And then you're going to have eternity, the endless span of time, to do everything you thought you're going to miss out on. So you don't have to live life insecure and in regret because you have all the time in the world. Now, having said that, the things that we think we're going to miss out on will pale into insignificance compared to the future glory that is going to be revealed by being with Jesus face to face. So eternity is heavenly not because we get to do all the things we missed out on, it's heavenly because we get to be with Jesus. But isn't it a good thought that you're not going to miss out on anything as well? I think that's liberating. I know I spend a lot of time and energy thinking about, oh, I really want to go to that place. I really want to travel there. It's probably not going to happen. And live in this place of pressure rather than living in a place of freedom. We get to live forever with a new body, complete, lacking nothing. I'm way more excited about it than you are. Philippians 3.17, Paul is inviting us to something very special, and I want you to read it. Join together in following my example. This is Paul speaking. Brothers and sisters, just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So Paul is living with an eternal perspective, and he's inviting us to live like he is living, right? For as often as I have often told you before and tell you now and you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. That's fairly clear, hey? Like Jesus, his resurrected body, we get to taste some of that. I don't know if you remember the story. Jesus is like walking through walls. He's like just appearing somewhere, but at the same time he's physical. I don't understand all that. All I know that what is to come in a glorified new body Man, it's going to be an adventure. Why am I speaking like this? Because I want to stir your heart that you would begin to fix your eyes on the unseen. Fix your eyes on eternal perspectives, which brings real perspective to the challenges and situations you're going through right now. It brings hope. Do you agree? We're going to be like Him. So first point, I have a forever body. The next point is a forever home. We have a forever home. So many of us treat here and now like a destination. We live with a, when we live with eternity amnesia, we can look at right now at a functional level as if all there is right now is all there is. That's it. That's it. When we live like that, we live with a destination mentality rather than a preparation mentality. The present world and all its joys and sorrows is not our final address. We're not home yet. 
But sometimes we treat it if it is. We try to get from this world what we can only experience in the next one. So one way Scripture speaks of this impermanence is the idea of dwelling in tents. It's in 2 Corinthians 5, 1-5, and it says, We know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built with hum- by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we were in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, and He's given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Oh man, that Scripture is powerful. Get my head around it. The concept of tents gives us a picture of pilgrimage. Pilgrims, right? Traveling towards their final destination, who set up these portable dwellings so they're along the way. And the tent is meant to remind you that you're not at your destination yet. The tent is supposed to announce to your heart, I'm not yet home. Now, let's think about, uh, any hands up? Last time we did, went on pilgrimage. Anyone? It's not something that's kind of we do. Probably the closest thing is camping, right? And that's camping's great. It's fun. Love it. Nothing wrong with it. But my question is this. Have we made our camping experiences, have we made even our current homes that we live in, right, so perfect that these things, they actually no longer remind us that we're not yet home? Like, are we striving to make our forever home here and now? And so it's no wonder we struggle to break eternity amnesia. It's gripping us. And the things around us are selling us a lie that this is all there is. That is not true. Here and now is meant to make us long for forever. Here is meant to prepare us for eternity. Now is not about wishing to be your own sovereign leader so you get your dream fulfilled. Oh, that's hard, isn't it? That just whacks in the face of our current culture we live in. Oh, your dreams can come true. You're the most important person. You can be the sovereign ruler of your life. That's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is that we are crying out for a saviour because like our world, you and I have something broken inside of us and desperately need to be redeemed. We need him. We need Jesus. John 14, 2-4, Jesus trying to make something that's hard to explain, really. He's trying to make it clear. He says, my father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. But I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. You know the place where I am going. Jesus then goes on and says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Jesus is the way to eternal life with him. Jesus is your way to your forever home. Oh, man. So the first one we talked about forever body. This one there was forever home. And this last point is forever promises, the forever promises. The, promises of the, the promise of the empty tomb 
means that we will live with God forever. Sort of let that sit in the ether, you know. The reality of the resurrection, the reality that the tomb is empty means that we will live with God forever. If, you, if you're finding it hard to connect those dots in your mind, just write that down and go, Lord, reveal that to me. How we fix our eyes and trust the most precious promise of eternal life given to us, the sheer gift of, gift of grace, how we hold on to this promise of eternal life has eternal consequences, yes, but those consequences affect right now. Like, how are you listening? How are you perceiving right now? We live forever. I'm mainly preaching to myself here. Did you realize this? Because human experience is like this, isn't it? Woohoo, live forever. Yeah, praise the Lord Jesus. Awesome. Next day, like, what? I'm just a victim and I'm living in my pity party, you know, and looking downcast, thinking, where's the hope? Oh, the world is so broken, it's killing me. But it's in those moments, hey? We've got to look up. We've got to look up and go, where does my hope come from? It comes from the one who's given me an eternal promise that we will live forever. So how can we fix our eyes on an eternal perspective and avoid eternity amnesia and live with an eternal consciousness? I've, um, I've got a few observations that might help you to gauge if you're living life right now with eternity amnesia, okay? So these are like a, a litmus test. So this is not the test of, of um, whether the Lord loves you, okay? That's done. Jesus has said, you are whiter than snow, perfect in his sight because of his sacrifice on the cross. This is like a little test to go, mm, how awake am I to eternal consequence, eternal significance, eternal reality. So the first one is, if you're living with eternity amnesia, right, so the negative, here are a few observations. You will be living with unrealistic expectations. You know why? Because you're asking this world to be something it will never be. Number two, you'll focus too much on self. Eternity confronts us with the fact that we are not in charge, that we do not live at the center of the universe. It confronts me with the realities that transcends my momentary wants, feelings, and needs. Number three, asking too much of others. When we fail to live with the forever in view, we can fall into the trap of expecting people around us to provide the paradise which our hearts craves for. And others just don't have the ability to give us that. So we live disappointed and frustrated and relationally divided with others because they're just not creating eternity for me right now. And they never will. Newsflash. Number four, being controlling or fearful. We can ignorantly try to control this world out of fear that this world cannot provide what our hearts long for. So peace in this world is only found when we live with the coming world in view. Number five, when you're living with eternity amnesia, you can begin to question God's goodness. So we don't understand God's agenda. So we quickly fall into the trap of living like a short-term viewpoint. 
like living for the short game and forgetting the long game. Look up, look out, look long. He is for you. His goodness lasts forever. You'll end up questioning his character if you're living with eternity amnesia. Uh, Number six, you'll live more disappointed than thankful. Unrealistic expectations lead to disappointment. We all know that. So don't expect this world to deliver what only eternity can. And so you may be living always comparing yourself to others and seeing, rather than seeing the good in your own hand. Because you're always, we're always looking outwardly to go, oh, I don't have that. And if I had that, that would give me that eternal hope. But it, you're deceived. So we live disappointed that this life is not giving everything that I want and it never will. Number seven, I love this one. You lack motivation and hope. So eternity really does give you a reason to continue even when nothing right now seems to be working. Eternity challenges my feelings of futility by reminding me that what I'm experiencing right now is not permanent. Eternity helps me not feel numb to this life and moves my heart to a posture of participation. Does that make sense? Oh, I love that. Like next time you, you know, we all have it, you know, you wake up in the morning, you're like, I don't know, don't know what, I'm not sure if I want to get out of bed this morning. You know what I'm talking about? Everyone's had that. If you haven't had that, I'm sorry, you're not alive. <laughs> have that. Like what would it be if you're feeling, you're feeling that way? Just to replace that thought going, I'm going to live forever and right now has eternal consequences and I'm not trying to make right now perfect what I am. I'm going to be a a vessel to see others brought into the kingdom. So I've got to get up and tell everyone about the fact that the eternal consequences are real and I'm going to be a vessel for that process to see his kingdom come. That for me is a motivator because it takes my eyes off myself and onto something bigger than me and eternity is way bigger than me. Number eight, living as if life doesn't have consequences. So if you're living with eternity amnesia, you're living like it just nothing matters. That's not true. Eternity forces me to face the fact that life does have consequences and a day of reckoning is coming. And no human being can escape that day of reckoning. But thanks be to God that Jesus has made a way for us all out of that and we are free and free indeed from final judgment because He has paid the ultimate price for us. Amen. So there's eight thoughts. I reckon one of them's probably just going, like, like highlighting in your heart. And you're, that becomes a prayer. It becomes a prayer. Lord, help me to be conscious of the fact that what comes with Jesus is the fact that I will be him with, for Him with ever, forever. And Lord, may that affect my every day. So may we live with a consciousness, an expectation of eternity, that causes us to live this life as more than conquerors, bold, fearless, able to lay down our lives for others. If you want to save your life, you'll lose it. You'll lay it down. If you want to save your life, you'll avoid laying it down. You'll, avoid, you'll hold it yourself. But eternity gives us a perspective that we can lay it down freely. We're going to begin to prepare our hearts for communion. And communion has just so 
there's so much richness in communion. And I, I love when Jesus, in Matthew 26, is talking about this moment of sharing the, the cup, sharing the bread, his body, his blood. He makes this statement. He says, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew. I love that. He's going to drink it anew with us in the Father's kingdom. Communion is, a, is almost like an opportunity for eternity be, to be turned up in your heart and that no longer you are having sort of an amnesia about eternity, but when you take the elements, you can say, Lord, awaken the reality of eternity in me that I am going to drink it with you anew in the kingdom that is coming. That that would be reestablished, that would be reignited in your hearts. Jim's going to come and help us in this time, but I want to pray for all of us this morning that the reality of eternity would not be dialed down to one, but there would be, there'd be a loudness, there'd be a realness to the reality of eternity in all our hearts and minds.